Hi and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, Australia's premier podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. George Talaporis, and in this episode of our special series on COVID-19, we talk to Upskill Reed, Linda Hughes, about the importance of planning ahead in order to stay safe as Australia opens up. Check it out. Hey Linda, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Thanks, George. Thanks for inviting me. Now, I know that a lot of people watching know you and love you. And for for people who don't know you, um, can you just introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. Um, So my name's Linda Hughes. I work for Summer Foundation. I'm the upskill lead. So my role is to to train support coordinators and allied health professionals. Um, We really recognise the important role, the vital role that allied health professionals and support coordinators play in ensuring that people with disability live well and are included in the community. I'm also, I've also been in the disability sector for, um, or the disability community for quite some time. Um, I'm the parent of a, of, a, of a 29-year-old man who's got complex support needs and that sort of involved, drew me to being involved in advocacy and, and working and um, being involved in the sector for some time, um, particularly around sort of, you know, wanting to achieve good outcomes for people with complex health needs or complex support needs generally. You do some fantastic work and uh, I know that you've been uh, very uh, active around trying to address issues related to COVID and people with disabilities. Can you tell us a bit about that and especially um, as we move towards a COVID novel, what does that look like for your family? Oh, it's really, yeah. I mean, I think that COVID, um, you know, has created a high level of anxiety for a lot of people, but particularly for people who've got complex health needs or for people that people who've got family members who have complex health needs. So we really, um, I think COVID normal for us is, is uh, not too different from um, lockdown in, in many ways. It, it sort of really involves, um, it almost feels like a constant risk assessment of how safe is this, um, what, what are the, you know, what's the options here, um, can we, you know, what protections, what precautions can we take to ensure that we don't bring COVID into, um, into our family and particularly to my son. Um, so it's uh, it, it's it's sort of COVID normal. It feels like just a constant level of risk assessment, to be honest, um, around what's safe and what's what's not safe, and and what can we what strategies can we use to minimise the risks. So what have you been doing up until now? So I suppose we've been um, really ensuring that uh, mask wearing, PPE using the use of PPE. Um, I think. Uh, my son, as I mentioned, has um, he has uh, complex health needs and disability, and requires people to be in close proximity. So the idea of social isolating is really difficult um, in terms of requiring getting the support he needs. Um, but certainly, having a tight team of support workers, having the team really well um, educated and understanding the risks, 
uh, so that even in their personal life they can they can ensure that they they're taking um, reasonable precautions in their daily life outside of work. Um, so there's the so there's sort of also you know the, of course the the good hand washing the the good hygiene practices generally having really a high level of um, um, uh, cross infection control measures in place and you always we have the sort of you know these in place generally but I suppose it's just taking it to another another level with COVID risks. No, we're moving to a point where you know we're going to have community transmission as as a part of life i'm i'm really interested in having a conversation around what we do to plan for this and i'm i know that you've done some thinking around you know what would happen in a, a situation where um possibly you know jacob was exposed can you uh, talk us through some of that planning. So I suppose that there's, there's a couple of things that are strategies, really. It's like prevent. So you've got your sort of cross-infection control measures, the things that you do like social isolate or try and avoid crowded situations in closed, in closed situations. So you've got your prevent. And then you've got to kind of got a preparation for the what ifs. What if Jacob gets COVID? What if I get COVID? What if, you know, and et cetera. So, um, so there's a couple of there's a, those sort of um, – sort of things there that you kind of got the plans in place just in case. And I think when we say that, you know, COVID is going to be, you know, the, the thought is that COVID is going to be endemic, that it's just going to be in the community everywhere, um, that it's not, um, it's, it's, a good, it's a good process to have those, those practices in place. One of the things that I think is really important is a sort of a COVID companion or a hospital passport or there's various names for these type of documents, having that prepared early um, so that if uh, Jacob or generally if any person has to go to hospital, having a COVID passport or a hospital passport that you can hand to ED, it's a good idea all the time but just is particularly now, that, um, that can provide the emergency department staff with some really important knowledge about the person and that really includes things like you know what is a person typically like do they need glasses on do they need a hearing aid um, to communicate do they need it if they're deafblind do they need a, a tactile interpreter um, what helps you know what helps keep a person feel safe and secure and, and minimize distress all of those type of things can be included on this document, as well as things like who's your doctor and what medications you're on. But it really starts to give um, emergency department and hospital staff a good picture of a person um, and how to support them in a positive way in in, you know, in a hospital environment. I, I like that. I think that one of the things that is really key is to uh, think about what is it that people need to know so that the experience is um, one that, you know, reflects what my needs are, right? So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, how we can plan ahead um, with respect to this. So um, you talked about this um, COVID passport. So is there a document that people can download or uh, how do they... How do they sort of fill this out and and get to having one that that people actually you know use and read and 
Yeah. Well, I think the, the first thing is it's got to be done now. It's no point doing it when someone's on their way to hospital. So it's it's a part of that pre-planning and preparedness. It's called, uh, there's uh, various names. It One's called a COVID companion, and that's on the, as, um, the Australian government website for COVID preparation for people with disability. There's another called Julian's Key, and that's another type of hospital passport. And if you just Google hospital passport, um, oh, one more is called A to Z, oh, sorry, A to D is admission to discharge, and that's a really quite a comprehensive document, but it's got the top five in that, and that's the top five things the ED department needs to know when you turn up there. Um, so if, if you Google hospital passport um, or have a look on the, the Australian government's uh, web, COVID website, they'll, you'll find these sort of documents there pretty easily. That's really helpful. I also think it, it gives you the opportunity to explore some of that complex issues that you might encounter when you are in hospital. So, for example, uh, you know, if you need a support worker in hospital with you, um, you don't want to have that argument, you know, when it's all happening and when, you know, the, 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 the oxygen's low and the, you know, you're about to, you know, go into October, right? Like, you need to have that conversation early. Yeah, I think that we've got to be thinking about this early and I think there's a lot of barriers to people in the hospital environment. We certainly know that there's there's barriers there and there's some unconscious bias potentially even amongst um, hospital staff um, and an unconscious bias is hard to address because people aren't conscious of it. So there's there's issues there. So um, having the information, you know, uh, really, you know, having information readily available, the idea is that, you know, having an understanding of what a person really looks like day to day as opposed to how they turn up when they're in hospital. Um, sometimes there might be some considerations like, um, you know, part of that, that unconscious bias might be diagnostic overshadowing and that's where someone's, um, you know, someone's behaviour might be attributed to, 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 sorry, some, someone's um, uh, signs of being unwell might be attributed to behaviour or attributed to their disability in some way rather than actually considering that there's something really, really wrong with this person. So having that documented, that, you know, normally I'm like this. Um, you know, my son has, my son, we've created a, a hospital passport a while ago for my son and it's got, you know, photos of him doing things in it even. So, um, so hospital staff can actually get a bit of a picture literally of uh, what he looks like day to day and what, you know, what he's doing. Um, so, again, that sort of hospital, that idea of conveying that information quickly uh, so that hospital staff can get an idea that this person, uh, where a person is. Let's take a step back then. Um, how about the need to plan around um, a support worker being, uh, you know, a primary contact or uh, positive with COVID as well? Um, you know, there's, you know, I had this situation um, twice in the last month where I had a support worker say that, you know, the family that um, was exposed to COVID. So I was like, oh, no, what do I do? And I was like, oh, I should have planned for this. Um, have you thought about 
what to do. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, it's always adapting. As I said before, it's kind of like almost this constant risk assessment. It's actually quite tiring to do all the time going, well, what are the chances? Um, you know, today I have um, my son's support worker called to say that um, he's feeling unwell and he's going for a COVID test. So he's self-isolating until he gets a result. Um, so that just kind of means that we're, we'll play it real safe today and, um not go anywhere at all not that they were going far anyway but um he so it's kind of just I think that if he came back positive then we would very you know very quickly be um getting um getting full PP'd up uh for any support for my son um at the moment we can kind of go well the chances are is pretty unlikely we know this support worker is very careful in their in, in what they do, um, they're wearing PPE when they're working with Jacob. Uh, they they're very careful in their personal life um, as well, so the risks are quite low. But nonetheless, we've got to kind of work through what the, the next thing. What if? And um, yeah, it, it's <laughs> I don't have any solid answers, George. It's just so hard to think about. <laughs> but having the PPE, we've got the we've got more. Um, I suppose the um, high-level PPE on hand should we need it. And I, I think that it's not about, like, getting overly, uh, you know, anxious about every second, every single circumstance, but to really think about, well, these are the things that, that could happen. This is what I should do. Get prepared, get the necessary, you know, PPE, um, and, and you know, you, you need to get on with your life, right? Yeah, and I think the most, the best thing we can do is have everyone vaccinated. I think that's, you know, um, that's the best thing if you've got, you know, my son's vaccinated, anyone who's in contact with him is vaccinated, and ideally anyone who's in contact with anyone who's in contact with him is vaccinated as well. Um, so it sort of really reduces the risk of um, someone catching it and reduces the risk of them um, spreading the virus so I suppose that's the number one um, this number one safeguard as we said before we know that that's that COVID is still going to spread through the community just because of the very nature of this delta strand in particular um, but um, that we've got to have some other contingency plans in place. Well, the other thing is that things keep changing and developing and we now have access to these rapid answers and tests that are you can now bite the local supermarket. Am I uh, picked up a, a pack before they sold out? Um, what are your thoughts on using those tests? I think this is really important. I think this is a way of um, really kind of uh, you know they're not they're not you know they're not like the PCR tests which are which are much more accurate, but they're pretty accurate. They're they're a good test to um, really uh, you know ensure that people who are coming to work with people with disability um, are not excreting the virus, don't have the virus, you know, don't have COVID. So I think they're actually um, quite useful. I'd be really encouraging support providers, service providers to be considering using those uh, with their staff, um, insisting on staff um, having testing, particularly if they um, are working with people who um, would be very vulnerable even when vaccinated to uh, COVID. Um, so I think this is this is could potentially really save um, save lives, to be honest. Yeah, what I've learned, though, is that you should still go and get your um, standard PCR test if you have uh, any symptoms. 
um, and with the rapid antigen testing, they work well if you use them regularly. Um, and, you know, there was an article in The Lancet that said that, you know, if you use them three times a week, then you actually get a really good, accurate uh, uh, reading of whether that person has um, come into contact with the virus. Um, so I did a bit of research myself on that. And I think that's the key, like, do your research and, and talk to your doctor about what, what will work for your, your situation. Yeah. Are you going to use them in your family? So I think that um, I think that we will be using them. We have to develop the protocol for it. I think that it would probably be every three days uh, that support workers um, self-test. Um, and if they feel that they have been in a situation where they might, where their, their chance of exposure is higher, we'll uh, give them the option of, uh, you know, of, of sort of putting their hand up for additional testing. Um, I think that they're actually the, one of the good things about them is they're pretty cheap. They can come like becomes just a really small, small cost in terms of, um, you know, if you consider the cost of a support worker over an eight-hour shift, it's a very small additional cost. And an important, um, really important safeguard, I think. Alongside other PPE and other strategies that you use, not on its own, but certainly um, I'd be sort of certainly talking to people and uh, advising people to talk to their doctor and consider using these. Yeah, so especially on medical professional before, yeah, uh, making any decision on what's, what's the best approach. And before we go, then, uh, do you have any final words of advice for our viewers? I think that it's just really advi- um, advisable to plan in advance, as I said, being prepared, um, having that list of what-ifs. It's easier um, if you've kind of thought about things in advance and you've got a plan of what you're going to do next. That makes it um, makes it quite much easier uh, when you just have when you, the plan is there and you go, okay, this scenario has happened and this is what I would do in that case. So I'd really recommend people have those plans having your COVID passport or your hospital passport ready um, to go as well you know um, is a great idea too great advice and that thanks for joining us today no worries thanks for having me on that's all we have time for on today's episode of reasonable and necessary brought to you by the summer foundation to be notified of future episodes don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. Thanks for watching, and until next time, stay well and reasonable.